Welcome to the podcast of Harvest Baptist Church in Harvest, Alabama. We invite you into our sanctuary as we dive into God's Word with our pastor, Dr. Al Peringer. Well, tonight uh, we want to continue our study of what we believe what, and the summarization of what Scripture teaches about very important subjects for our faith. We need to know what it is we believe and why we believe it. Because there, not only do we have opposition from those who, if you want to say, are atheists, but there's the false teachings that are, try and sneak in as well. And we want to make sure we have a solid foundation. And so we've been using creeds and confessions to kind of jumpstart our discussion on uh, these various subjects. And we've I began a study, <clears throat> excuse me, in uh, a theology proper, which is the study of God. I mean, the study of God. I mean, that, that's obviously a pretty big subject. Hey, let's just talk about God. Well, you know, that's a pretty... Because, I mean, I don't know if you've ever thought about this. If you were asked to describe God to someone, like, where in the world would you begin? I mean, where, where would you begin trying to describe God to someone? Would you begin just trying to explain His existence would you begin trying to describe his character? Would you begin by describing his relationship with the universe? Would you maybe try something chronological, just start in Genesis and explain God and how God works, you know, all the way from Genesis uh, through, through Revelation? Um, you ever know, there's a whole lot to know about God. We have a great God. We sang about his greatness tonight, his goodness, his wonder. And we all know something about God, but he has revealed so much about himself in his word. I mean, it, it is hard to know where to even begin. And our God, because of who he is, even what he revealed to us through his word doesn't even begin to scratch the surface of his might and power and greatness and goodness. We serve a great God. We serve a mighty God. And, and so, yeah, the, the topic of God can be a little bit overwhelming. The wonderful thing is, no matter the fact that God is just God and He's eternal and immortal and just so wonderful, it's kind of overwhelming when you think about it, but this great God wants to have a relationship with us. Here is this eternal God who made this entire universe and made all the spiritual world, however, you know, that works. And he wants to have a relationship with you. He wants you to know him. He wants you to relate with him. He wants to have that. What, that's, that's amazing. And so... You know, if we're going to relate with him, we need to know him and not just know facts about him, but just come to know him in that, in that way and, and allow his revelation to shape what we believe and then how we relate to him. And so, you know, if we want to, if we want to try and grasp as much of God as we can as little human beings you know that we, we if we want to have some summaries of 
who God is to whet our appetite to, to bring that desire for a relationship with him. You know, the creeds and confessions are a good place to at least start. To, you know, the creeds and confessions from church history, they're helpful, they're tools, and they're nothing but tools. We, we stand on the truth and the fact that Scripture is the final authority and is sufficient for everything. The creeds and confessions are summaries of what it is that Scripture reveals, and specifically about God. And so we're going to continue to look at the subject of theology proper, God himself. We've been using the Second London Baptist Confession, reflecting the Westminster Confession. And, uh, you know, we might not agree with everything that's in these confessions, but we'll hold on to those that we do, and we'll discuss maybe where there are some points of, of difference. But they are good uh, summaries uh, of what we believe. And, and so in chapter 2 of the confession, paragraph 1, uh, it has a lot to say about God. So let me just read it uh, and uh, we'll take it from there. It says that the Lord our God is one, the only living and true God. He is self-existent and he is infinite in being and perfection. His essence cannot be understood by anyone but him. He is a perfectly pure spirit. He is invisible. He has no body, parts, or changeable emotions. He alone has immortality, dwelling in light that no one can approach. He is unchangeable, immense, eternal, incomprehensible, almighty in every way, infinite, absolutely holy, perfectly wise, wholly free, completely absolute. He works all things according to the counsel of his unchangeable and completely righteous will for his own glory. He is most loving, gracious, merciful, and patient. He overflows with goodness and truth, forgiving iniquity, transgression, and sin. He rewards those who seek him diligently. At the same time, he is perfectly just and terrifying in his judgments. He hates all sin and will certainly not clear the guilty. You know, I wish that they'd say something about God here. I mean, it's, that, that seems so lightweight yeah right holy smokes boy did they try and pack a punch in that one one paragraph and amen i mean how even that how do you describe our god how do you summarize what he has revealed to us but it tries we try and so we tr we grasp these things and we try and understand him so we can relate with him better that's how you build a relationship right that's how you build a relationship with someone you get to know them not just to know about them, not to know certain facts about them, but you get to know them. And last week I emphasized that there's only one true creator God. Nothing caused God to exist, not even himself, because his existence is just fact. His existence is just an inevitable fact. He never had a beginning. He's never going to have an ending. God just exists. He just is. Now, the essence of his full existence cannot be understood by anyone other than himself. No one can understand God fully except God himself. But he is gracious enough to reveal himself to us so that we can know him as best as us finite human beings are able to understand him. Well, the, the creed goes on to confess that God is perfectly pure spirit 
If you wanted to answer the question, what is the mode of God's existence? He is spirit. He is 100% spirit. And so we would contrast that, say, with, with the physical. Now, we humans, we have a spiritual element and a physical element together, but we were made to be physical beings. That's why the teaching of the resurrection is so important. Because unlike maybe the Gnostics of old or the Neoplatonists of old, you know, they, they, they would teach that all oh, the physical is evil and, and you want to be pure, pure spirit. Well, you were never created to be pure spirit. You were created a physical being with a spiritual aspect. And, and so, you know, the resurrection is us receiving bodies that will not reflect the corruption that has come upon the physical because of sin. We will receive bodies that will endure forever. We won't have to try and get up off of a chair sounding like Rice Krispies and making all them groaning noises as you stand up. I don't know, that's just my natural thing. Somebody, want, I need to get up, I'm like, you know. Maybe not that bad, but we will have bodies that won't do that, right? The physical is not evil. The physical is not bad. It's just right now because of sin, the physical is corrupt. But there is going to come a day when the physical will no longer be uh, corrupt. And we will, be, we will have the physical bodies that we were always meant to have, I guess you could say. So that, you know, that's physical, but... So we're contrasting that with God. God has no physical aspect. He, he doesn't have a body. He doesn't, God doesn't have the limitations that come with physical existence. Yes, God took on humanity in the person of Jesus Christ. The Son took on humanity. But in his pure existence, God is spiritual. And the Bible testifies to these grand truths. You remember when, when Jesus uh, was speaking with uh, the Samaritan woman at the well. And, uh, you know, there Jesus kind of confronted her with her sin to demonstrate he is the Messiah. And she kind of, you know, maybe changed the subject a little bit about worship. And in John 4, 24, this is what Jesus had to say about worship. God is spirit and the people who worship him must worship in spirit and truth now this gives us a little bit of an insight into the second commandment that you're not you know the israelites were warned don't make any sort of graven image that would represent god why why would god include include that well it's because god is spirit and there isn't a physical image that would do him any justice. If you would try and shape something and say, okay, this represents God. Well, no, it doesn't, because God is nothing like whatever it is you just made. Any image actually would take away from God's glory. And so when, you know, the, the Israelites, they escaped Egypt, but then because of their disobedience, they had to, wander around the wilderness for the 40 years. And so after the 40 years, they're about to uh, go into the promised land. 
And Moses reiterates the law to them. That's what Deuteronomy is. Deuteronomy means second law. He's reiterating the law to the next generation, the ones that are going into the land. And, and so he, he repeats the warning about, you know, the second commandment. Don't, whatever you do, don't make a graven image. And so in, in Deuteronomy 4, verses 15 and 16, Moses warns them, be very careful then because you saw no form at the time the Lord spoke to you at Horeb from the middle of the fire. I say this so you will not corrupt yourselves by making an image in the form of any kind of figure. This includes the likeness of a human, male or female. So don't try and make an image about God. So Moses is saying, okay, when, when he met with God at the burning bush, he saw no form. There was no form. When the Israelites were at the mountain, Mount Sinai, Mount Horeb, and, you know, God, there was rumblings and flames and fire and smoke and clouds and everything on top, but they saw no form. And so because God doesn't have a physical form like that, his spirit, nothing in the physical realm can picture him, can depict him. So don't make a graven image. Of course, you know, it only took them a few days and, they're, and you know, they're like, hey, let's make a golden calf to represent God. Did you not just hear? <laughs> Don't make an image. But, you know, stubborn humanity. So some of the, this is hard for us to grasp, this whole spirit thing, because we are physical. And everything about us is physical. We, we're, we're physical, we touch, we see, you know, we're very physically oriented, and so it's hard for us to grasp the spiritual. But what is hard to grasp, the, the creed, uh, the confession, tries to explain further and describe anyway. So what, what does it mean to be spiritual? Well, part of it, the, creed, the, the confession here says that God is invisible. So... By its very definition, a spirit has no visible manifestation. Yes, God manifested himself in some ways, like when he met with Abraham before he destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah and, uh, and, and, and things like that. But these were limited. They never showed the full fullness of God. A spirit is not seen in the physical realm now you know god's existence is so different from even his spiritual creation that you know we'd call them angels whatever he's so different from the angels even the angels cannot see the full essence and existence of god and so you know that that there because god is eternal and nobody else is um so there there is that limitation uh, but definitely in the physical realm, we do not see the visible, you know, everything is in invisible. And other verses, you know, talk about this when they're describing God, they include invisible. I mean, we just, we don't see him with our eyes, yet we understand his existence in other ways, and we believe by faith. But, you know, for example, you know, he, it's usually included in a list of uh, other aspects of his existence. But 1 Timothy 1.17, uh, 
Paul says, now to the eternal king, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor, glory forever and ever. Amen. It always seems to be part of a doxology too, a praise to God. Because later in 1 Timothy, in 1 Timothy 6.16, Paul says, he alone possesses immortality and lives in unapproachable light whom no human has ever seen or is able to see. To him be honor and eternal power. Amen. I mean, no human is able to see God as he is. Physical humanity is not able to see the spiritual God with the physical eyes. Now, obviously, God has reached out to humanity, related to humanity in other ways. But we can't see him like we see each other right now. It's not like we can just look and, oh, you know, there, there's God. But then the confession continues trying to describe God's existence as spirit by stating that God, there's certain aspects that God does not have. I mean, if you want to state it positively, what it means for God to be spirit, it means he's invisible. But then the confession, I guess, says, okay, what, it, what I mean by spirit is, here's the negative. He doesn't have these certain attributes. Because human language, frankly, human language is pretty, pretty limited. I mean, how do you describe eternal God? Sometimes you can only use, well, he's not. He's not this and he's not that. And so, you know, that's what the confession does because, you know, that's what uh, Scripture, you know, tells us in some ways. There's just some things that, that um, our small brains can't comprehend. So, so this is what else the confession says about God being spirit. It means that he has no body, no parts, or no changeable emotions. And I'll explain that a little further here. So th this is what theologians describe or call the simplicity of God. Now, before you start throwing things at me and calling me a heretic, let me explain what that term means because you hear the term simplicity of God and you're thinking, what in the world are you talking about? There is absolutely nothing simple about God, to say the least. And, you know, and in fact, didn't, didn't you just start saying how complex God was? You know, in and, and describing him. So how, what do you mean by simplicity of God? Well, I mean, actually, the, what the confession here says is the definition of the simplicity of God. It doesn't mean he's simple like what we think of as simple. It means that God has no parts, no body, and no changeable emotions. It means that God cannot be divided into components. God's existence is whole and full. His existence and his essence and his character and his attributes are just him. They're all together. He is not the sum of all his parts. He has no parts. He just is. God is one big whole. And so some, sometimes this is also called the unity of God. And so theologian Wayne Grudem, he defines it this way. 
God is not divided into parts, yet we see different attributes of God emphasized at different times. And he states further, when Scripture speaks about God's attributes, it never singles out one attribute of God as more important than all the rest. There is an assumption that every attribute is completely true of God and is true of all of God's character. For example, John can say that God is light in 1 John 1.5, and then a little later, he also says that God is love, 1 John 4.8. There is no suggestion that part of God is light, part of God is love, or that God is partly light, or that God is partly love. Nor should we think that God is more light than he is love, or more love than he is light. Rather, it is God himself who is light, and it is God himself who is love. So consider how God, um, and I know the, the confession references it later in, the, in, in that paragraph, but consider how God revealed himself to Moses. Moses is like, show me you. And you know, it says that you know, he was hidden in the cleft of the rock, God's hand, even though God doesn't have a hand, but that's the description, you know, was over him, and he saw the tail end of God. Again, God doesn't have a tail end, but it's just seeing he saw a very minor, uh, a minor manifestation of God. But while God was passing by Moses in this manifestation, he declared something about himself. And all of it is true of him 100% in the wholeness of God. The, it says that in uh, Exodus 34, 6 and 7, the Lord passed by before him and proclaimed, the Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger and abounding in loyal love and faithfulness, keeping loyal love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but he by no means leaves the guilty unpunished. Responding to the transgression of fathers by dealing with children and children's children to the third and fourth generations. So when you look at that, you know, God, when God is declaring this about himself, he is not saying, well, you know what, I'm part compassion, I'm part just, I'm part loyal, I am part, you know, this and that. He's not saying, well, you know what, I'm 25% love, I'm 25% justice, nothing like that. He is 100% perfect in everything. God is 100% love. God is 100% just. God is 100% merciful. God is 100% wrath. God is 100% compassion. God is 100% holy. He, he just is. Now, you, you hear that and you're like, that math don't add. Well, it doesn't work in math, no. But it works for God. Because he is a united whole. He just is. You cannot break him down into different parts. So, you know, consider again how the confession says it. He has no body. He has no parts. I mean, our body is made up of different parts. You know, part of me is eyes, part of me is mouth, part of me is ears, but I am not 100% eye. I mean, I'm not one giant eyeball. I'm not 100% ear. I'm not 100% mouth. Some people might think so, but no, I'm not 100% mouth. I, I, I'm made up of different parts. I'm made up of different components. Or think about a computer. A laptop has a monitor. It has a keyboard. It has a CPU. It has a hard drive. It has... All these different things, but a computer is not 100% monitor. I mean, if it was 100% monitor, 
How would it program things? You know, how would it run the, the programs? God is not made up of parts. God is one whole. All of God is God. But then, how do we explain that from a human perspective, we seem to see God in different ways at different times? Well, the answer is because of the limitation of humanity. We are not capable of seeing God in his perfect wholeness because of our finiteness and also because of sin. We can't see God, you know, because of corruption. We cannot see God in his fullness. Um, when we see what we see about God, you can just consider that we're looking at God from a different angle depending on what we did. Because God doesn't change, God doesn't move. We're the ones that change, we're the ones that move, and so we're the ones seeing God from different aspects. I mean, if I'm disobedient, I'm going to see the discipline of God. If I am hurting, I'm going to see the mercy of God and, and, and different things. It, it, we're the ones changing, we're the ones moving. Um, so, you know, this is a limited illustration, but, you know, if, you know, I have this pulpit in front of me and I see certain aspect from this pulpit about this pulpit but then I move over here well I see something completely different and then if I move over here well I see something completely different the pulpit didn't move the pulpit didn't change what changed I did and so when we're seeing what we would say are the different characteristics or attributes of God it's not that God changed we're the ones that are are, are, are moving around. And then, you know, it says in the confession that this includes that God has no um, changeable emotions. The older wording for the confession used the word passions. So that's not saying God doesn't have any emotions. It's saying that his emotions do not change and are not affected by outside forces. God doesn't have sinful emotions. He doesn't have negative emotions. His emotions are not a roller coaster. And he is not affected by what happens outside of him. That's different from us. Sometimes we're loving, sometimes we're not. Sometimes we're angry, sometimes we're hateful, sometimes we're not. Sometimes I'm loving and then angry and hateful all within a matter of one minute. And outside forces like stress or whatever, you know, that it, it, it influences us. It influences our emotions. And sometimes our emotions lead us to sinful reactions and doing things. You know, we're, we're all over the board. Let's, let's face it. Or may, maybe I'm the only one. I don't know. But... God is not that way. God, God is not, it's not that, you know, God is not an emotional, emotionless robot, but his, his passions aren't influenced. His passions don't change him. I mean, our, our emotions can change us just like, I mean, I, you know, I can be a, a happy, nice guy one minute, and then I could be a hateful, vindictive person the next minute. And it, it's all over the place like that. They're like, now, I'm not saying I am a hateful, vindictive person now. Don't go, don't go around spreading rumors about me. But, but, but we're all like that. We're all, all over the board. 
but God, God is just God in all of his greatness. Um, and, you know, these are just some wonderful, overwhelming truths about God. And it, it just boils down to God is just good. He is so good. And even though, you know, we won't ever know everything about him, what we do know ought to lead, to, ought to lead us to trust him, to praise him, to worship him. Uh, it ought to lead us to be faithful toward him. And uh, I just pray you just jump into your, your Bible and learn some, just get to know him. And the more you know him, the more you're going to love him. Because he's just so good. I can't, I can't say enough about him. And I wouldn't be able to because he's eternal. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Harvest Baptist Church. For more information, visit us online at harvest-baptist.org or find us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. You can also find info on our children's ministry on Facebook at Harvest Baptist Children's Ministry or on Instagram at KidsQuest underscore HBC. Our student ministries on Facebook at HBC Vertical Student Ministry and on Instagram at VSM underscore HBC. We welcome you to join us on Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. We are located at 8999 Waltrana Highway in Harvest, Alabama. Thanks for listening, and God bless.